Good morning. Welcome to Real Estate Matters. For over nine years, the voice of real estate in Flagler County in Palm Coast, Florida, I'm Toby Tobin. I'm a Florida licensed commercial realtor with Grand Living Realty. And you hear this show every week because we have sponsors. They are the Flagler County Home Builders Association, Client Construction, and American Village, a gated 55 community where I reside. And I like to put in a plug for my church, although they don't pay for it. Uh, Hammock Community Church, a little hit, little church in the hammock, church the way it used to be. The way it used to be. Yeah. The way it was, is, and forever shall more be. Choir instead of a band. It's more of a traditional service, Bible-based. Sing out of a hymnal. I just like it there. And, uh, you know, I I walked in the door the first time and felt really at home and comfortable. I think you would, too. I think it would, too. It's it's in the hammock just north of uh, and across the street from JT's restaurant, just... uh, Probably a mile north, two miles north of the toll bridge. It's a beautiful place for a church. Mm-hmm. It is. It's really nice. So we're getting close to the end of the month, but a lot of the numbers get turned in at the end of the month. So not you know we don't really know what October numbers are until about the 7th or 10th of November. But I can tell you what they were as of last night because we're recording on Thursday. So these are Wednesday night numbers. 164 homes sold through MLS, and last October there were 237 sold in the entire month. So we're probably going to come up a little bit short of last year, but the median price is uh, surprising up a little bit this month, 374000 versus 365 a year ago. It doesn't seem to be. I mean, are these seasonal median price adjustments? Is this noise? No, uh, no. Um, price, uh, you know, I've been watching these numbers for 20 years now. And I've noticed two things. Price is not seasonal. Volume is. Okay. okay and uh, for those of you who care, the Six months that represent the most number of closings are February through August. And if you back up, you remember a closing, that's when the money trades hands and the title changes. But the actual deal was probably signed about, on average, maybe 60 days earlier. So if you back up 60 days from March through August, you get January through June. Those are the prime Selling months. The house hunting months. And that's, that's when the deals are struck. But uh, the actual price doesn't substantially move. It would just be statistical noise. Days on market, 39 so far, month to date. That's a really low number. I mean, that would, that would tell you that this is a real strong market. But yet the number of homes sold is... We're just tracking barely meeting last year's numbers and not meeting the year before. You know, the COVID numbers were stronger. The COVID numbers are going to be, that might be the strongest of both of our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you add us, our our two lifetimes together, it's about 100. (laughs) I didn't know you were 95. (laughs) I didn't know you were (laughs) 5. Uh, homes listed, 
<clears throat> this number continues to climb up. If you'll recall, there was a time, oh, probably 18 months ago, when it was fewer than 200 homes listed. Well, it's 943 homes listed now, which is a reason. It's kind of in the middle range of a normal market number. Uh, anything between 800 and 1,150 or 1,200 would be, in my mind, a normal number. But yet, uh, on homes pending has dropped a little bit. It's down to 323 uh, days on market for homes pending is uh, also relatively low. Eight homes have sold for a million dollars or more, and only three for cash. We've, we've been running oh, higher numbers. This is interesting. And something else showed up, and I, I don't know whether this is a shift in the market or whether MLS just added a new category that people can use, but two of them have owner financing, and that's not something I've noticed before. So put yourself in the situation. Uh, you know, you don't want to buy a house with a 75 or 8% mortgage on it. If you, if you own a home and it's clear, your title is clear, and you're selling it, uh, where, where are you going to make 8%? Right, exactly right. So or even, you know, 7 6%. It, it's, a, it's a pretty smart deal for, for a seller that doesn't need the cash right away. So the sellers hold all the cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Uh, but again, looking back at these numbers, uh, I was actually talking with uh, one of the fairly large regional builders yesterday, and he agreed with me that the market has mixed signals. Some numbers point to a strong market. Some point to a declining market. So we both agreed to play it safe by just saying the market's moving sideways. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, really, 164 homes sold is not a, a huge number. And that tells us, but the prices are holding. They're actually starting to rise, perhaps, at least this month. That that can that says there's demand out there. And strong demand if rates are still hung up. I mean, we're talking 8% now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I really think that underlying the strength of the market is that wave of the blue state to red state migration, the people that are leaving areas where they have homelessness and crime and fear of business shutdowns if there's another covid um, they're worried about the health care availability where they are uh, or control over health care. And Florida's getting the reputation. I mean, I hear people from out of state calling it a free state. And as I've said before, I think Florida's the new California, it, California in the good way <laughs> back in the 50s and 60s right. when it was really uh, not expensive to move to the climate's great, the scenery's beautiful, and it, it just got ruined. But people are highly motivated to move right now, and not everybody can afford to. Not so, everybody can afford to, and you've also, I mean, a lot of those places have fell apart during COVID and, the, and those protests, and homelessness has skyrocketed in L.A., Seattle, a lot of the West Coast particularly. I talked to a lot of people from California that – they want to come to Florida, but they grew up in California. That's where their family is, and now they're all raising families, hitting their 30s, having 
babies, and the only thing stopping them from coming to Florida is the fact they have family in California. And they're saying, you know, it's not a great place to raise the family. We're not thrilled about the education system. But you move to Florida and you look at daycare, all of a sudden it kind of puts us out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, as I said, the, a, a recent study showed that there's net migration. You know, that we're adding roughly 1,000 people a day to the Florida population. But that's a net number. That means we probably have we have some people moving out of state and some people moving in state into the state. And a thousand more are moving in than are moving out. So that's the net migration or net addition number. But the study showed that the income and the net worth or wealth of the people leaving Florida was substantially below the income and worth of people moving into Florida. Yeah. And that just makes sense because they're the ones that, that have uh, financial mobility. So they can afford to move. They can leave their house on the market for a while up there and come down here and buy a house. Interesting that you say that because uh, I think like actual evidence, concrete evidence of that occurring would be BJ's located in Palm Coast, right? Mm-hmm. That's a wholesaler similar to Costco that doesn't go even look in, you know, MS at metropolitan statistical areas unless you've got a certain median income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. But it's the market is showing the reason it's showing the strong numbers in the market and the factors that are showing the strength are are there because we have this leading edge of the migratory wave that I think will last for two decades moving into Florida because the motivations behind the move like crime financial uh, quality of life personal safety these are real visceral motivations. Yeah. And people are highly motivated. They'll do whatever it takes to move if they can. And but some people can't. And that's because interest rates are higher, prices are up. Uh, you know, the home prices in Flagler County are greatly out of whack with the median household income in Flagler County. Oh, yeah, and you're very good so, at breaking so that down. It's really highly un, unbalanced. So we're missing a good segment of the market because they they can't afford to live here. They may come and work here, but they live in Volusia County yeah. or Putnam County. So it, it's kind of a fractured market. There's a segment of the market that has mobility. They're moving, but there's a... a huge segment of the market that's stuck in place. They're, they're stuck with a 3% mortgage in an 8% world. And they'd have to cut their their house almost in half to be able to move for the same amount of monthly payment. It really shows you that the graphs that you learn in economics, macroecon, um, they're not inaccurate. When you have government intervention in the monetary system or the, fisc- or the fiscal system, um, you, you get dead weight losses. And when you have the Fed suppressing interest rates artificially for a couple decades, and then all of a sudden jacking them up also artificial, artificially for a couple decades, people don't realize there is a long history of economics working pretty efficiently at a macro scale before the intervention, before the invention mm-hmm. of the Federal Reserve in 1912. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, when I moved here in 2000, I had a, I got a 7% mortgage, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Yeah. Now people are saying, you know, that's, whoa, that's way too high, I can't afford to buy a house. Well, in seven is probably the new normal. I don't think we'll see two and a half again. Not in not in my lifetime. Of course, at my age, not in my lifetime is kind of a meaningless <laughs> <laughs> claim. Well, it's next couple of weeks anyway. <laughs> well, here's another mixed signal. Um, month to date, uh, the city of Palm Coast has issued uh, 74 single-family residential building permits, which is a reasonable number. It's in, in line with what we've seen over the last few months, and that's month to date, so we still have almost a week of numbers to go. But then I looked at how many have been applied for, and it's 128. You say, wow, 78 to 128, that's just applied this month. Does that mean that there's that much more demand, that the builders are suddenly seeing that much more demand? No, probably what it means is that one of the builders was able to open up another phase in one of their developments, and they got the lots ready to go now so they can build on them. And credit to all the city reviewers who have to go through all those, and uh, their door gets banged on when they don't turn it around in a couple days. Mm -hmm. And uh, also we had uh, 251 apartment permits. That would be Crest Residential with the Wilton in Town Center. The Wilton in Town Center, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So, well, we got to take a break. This is convenient because I'm just about to start a new topic. Uh, don't go away, folks. We'll be right back talking about homesteading facts you probably don't know. So, based on your comment, how do you deliver more and better? With less money. Free for all Friday, where local newsmakers talk it I out. I'm trying to inform the public and well, you know, I wasn't the, blaming uh, you. No, I understand, but I'm trying <laughs> to get this I, thing done. I thought 120 days was enough. I hung in there as long as I could. Hi, I'm David Ayers. Join me and Brian McMillan every Friday morning following the news at night on WNCF and worldwide on the Flagler Radio mobile app. Well, we're back. I'm glad you stayed with us. This is the second half of Real Estate Matters. I'm in the studio with Walker Douglas. I forgot to mention his name, and he didn't either, so apparently he really doesn't care whether you know whether he's Whatever you call me. Uh, Let's say hello to our sponsors again, Flagler Home Builders Association, Klein Construction, and American Village. And just before the break, I said we're going to revisit homesteading. This is... uh, a topic we've covered many times, but quite honestly, it's the topic that I get the most phone calls about and the most uh, emails about and unsolicited advice given about because uh, people don't really realize that they don't know much about homesteading. Homesteading is pretty complicated, and it's, it's uniquely Florida. I mean, other states have homesteading laws, but they don't, they don't look like Florida's laws at all. And we've talked uh, talked about the homestead exemption and timing, reminded people to get their homestead status taken care of by March 1st because that's the cutoff for that tax year. But there's another uh, 
couple parts of homesteading that most people don't realize because we've been in an up market since, well, for the last 11, 12, 12 years probably. And in an up market, everybody pretty much knows that they're, if they're homesteaded, they have a cap on the increase in their assessed value. Even that little fact, a lot of people have wrong. They think it's a cap on tax increase. It's not. It's a tax on the assessment increase. And it's not just 3%. It's either 3% or the consumer price index increase, whichever is the lesser. So it could be 1% or half a percent. But again, the uh, it's, it's the cap is on the assessed value, not increase, not on your real estate tax, because the millage rate could be whatever. They can change that so, willy-nilly. So say you bought your house for $250,000. Something ridiculous happens. <clears throat> now it's worth a million, but you're homesteaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're homesteaded. And if, the, if it, the property appraiser would want to say, well, it's worth a million. We're going to assess it at the assessed value. Mm-hmm. But because you're homesteaded, a million isn't what shows up on your assessed value. No, your assessed value will only climb by whatever the consumer price index rises right. or 3%, whichever is the greater. Now, that's homesteaded property. A non-homesteaded property can go up 10%. So that means commercial property. Okay. That's a fairly recent change. But I thought um, we'd, we'd go over how this really works. As of January 1st of the first year following the purchase of your home, and that means if you buy a home anytime in 2023, then on January 1st, 2024, everything resets on that home. So your assessed value and your just or just market value, they call it, will be equal. And that becomes your baseline for your assessed value going forward. That's your, that's where your cap is figured off of. And they're set to in. And in following years, as you said, if you went from two hundred thousand to a million, you, you, your assessed value would only go up three percent, or CPI, which is over the lesser. For non-homesteaded, I said it's uh, 10%, but the cap applies, again, to the assessed value, not the real estate taxes, because the millage rate can change. Then you have, if you look at your property, and this is all available online at your property appraisers' websites, flaglerpa.com, exempt value is subtracted from the just value to get your, uh, your assessed value, okay? And the uh, or to get to your taxable value, you start with your just value. If your assessed value went up three percent, but your home value went up fifteen percent, your this is where your market value and your assessed value start to f- go in different directions, okay. or d- same direction but at different rates, and then each year. It's done again, and in a forever rising market, which we seem to have been in for the last decade, every year you end up gaining or saving taxes because your assessed value does not climb as fast as your market value. Okay. All right? Then you come to your assessed value. Then you start 
subtracting the other part of homesteading, and that is your exemptions. Like you just being homesteaded, you get 50000 If you got a senior exemption and your income qualified, you get uh, twenty another 50000 but only twenty five on school tax. That's another complication. And you get your veterans' exemptions. All these exemptions get subtracted from your your capped assessed value to get your taxable value. What if so I have a school bus parked in my yard? Is that an exemption? No. No, actually, it's a fine because you're <laughs> supposed to park it in your driveway. <laughs> um, so save our home deductions are cumulative. So if if your property goes up 50000 this year, but your 3% cap only allows it to go up 10000 you save you've got forty thousand their difference and that's called protected value. You'll see that on your property record card. Then the next year, if your property goes up again and your assessment increases limited to three percent, you gain more protected value. So protected value is cumulative and that's why the people that have lived here a long, long time are the happiest because they can look at their neighbor and say, I basically got the same house you have, and I pay 2000 taxes, and your bill is 5000 And that's why the people that complain most at tax time or assessment time are the new arrivers. The people, number one, understand homesteading because, uh, unfortunately, the real estate industry does a very poor job, I think, of explaining it. This goes from the real estate agent to the attorneys to the title companies. They don't explain it very well. So people are shocked when they get their first tax bill when they so move here. If you're if you're a real estate agent and you listen to all that and you wanna when you want the too long didn't read version, you stay here for a long time. <clears throat> it gets better and better. It gets it, better and better. Mm-hmm, if yeah. you just moved here, it's kinda like state sponsored hazing. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It's just reinforcing the hierarchy of of uh longevity and, and tenure. Okay, now another th- another fact that a lot of people do not understand is the tax status of a property is established on January 1st of that tax year, and it applies for the entire tax year, no matter who owns the house and gets the tax bill at the end of the year. Tax bills come out beginning in November. So uh, we'll use an example. I actually sold a condo this year, bought a house this year. The condo that I sold uh, had I'd been there for twelve years, so I had a humongous protected value accumulated over twelve years of price increases. Um, actually, it was for those of you who are interested, you can find it. It's public record. My protected value is two hundred eighty-one thousand six hundred sixty-seven dollars. So that's two hundred and $81,000 that I'm not paying taxes on yeah. because I lived there such a long period of time. Now, the new owner, the person that bought my condo in May of this year, will basically, they will get the same tax bill I would have gotten if I didn't sell the condo. So they'll pay because the tax status was established on January 1st, and it carries for the whole year. It gets reset the next January Okay, now on the other end of the deal, I bought a house, and it was a smaller house. You did. Or a less expensive house, a little bit smaller too. And 
on January 1st of this year, it was still classified as a vacant lot because it hadn't gotten the certificate of occupancy yet. So this year, tax year 2023, I will pay taxes based on the it being a lot assessed as of January 1st of 2023. So I got a really good break this year. Yeah. And then next year, January 1st, the year after you buy a property, then everything resets. And that's when the just value or market value equals the assessed value. That's when I come through with a wrecking ball and knock it down to the ground so you don't have a CO anymore and you go back to your vacant lot stat- status. You'd have to do it right on January 1st. Though. <laughs> if you did it January 2nd, I'd be screwed. <laughs> but here's a case where now if I bought a more expensive home, I could carry the protected value over the entire protected value from the condo. But since the house is worth less than the condo, basically I get a pro rata. Let's say that the protected value is 40% of the condo's value as of January 1st this year. Then I would get 40%. I would have protected value on the house of 40% of the value that is assessed on January 1st, 2024. That's homesteading. Mm-hmm. That's another advantage of homesteading. Now, uh, homesteading has a dark side, too, or the, the cap has a dark side, too. And no, most people don't understand it. Almost nobody understands it. And that's what happens when the market's going down. You can actually lose your protected value. You can have your home go down in value and have your assessed value go up. As long as you've got protected value in the bucket, they can claw back the protected value at 3% a year. The dark side of homesteading. The dark side of homesteading. So you, yes. So you can, have, estate matters. you can have your house go down in value by 20% and your real estate taxes, your assessed value and your real estate taxes can go up. And they probably would because in the down market, um, the millage rate usually goes up. Got to keep your head on a swivel these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you can all wake up now. I'm done talking about <laughs> homesteading for the rest of this week. Uh, I've been warned that it's got to be one of the most boring topics ever. But it's complicated, <laughs> and it is damned important. And you really need to understand it because it, it's real dollars in your pocket or out of your pocket. And unplanned if you don't understand it to going in. So thanks for being with us this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. I'm Toby Tobin, and I approve this show. 